side, but then also being on the fundee side, one of the most important things if you're going to be thinking about fundraising is it is about the individual. I mean, and it is about, you know, what makes them tick. I've had conversations with people where I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if Nomi Network is going to be what gets them all fired up. And of course, I hope it does. But, it, you know, it, it's also I'm not about like, you know, hey, you know, you're interested in you're specifically wanting to focus on children. OK, well, then, you know, have you thought about this organization? Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today, we've got part two of our interview with Kelly Gage. If you missed part one, please go back and learn all about nomenetwork.org, where Kelly's doing absolutely great work with, with her coworkers on helping trafficking survivors and, and others get job placements and break generational cycles of abuse and do all sorts of great things. Kelly, I want to talk a lot about, about your background and the successes you've had in life, but but let's do just a, a quick intro for Nomi, for Nomi, for anybody who missed part one. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I am the director of advancement for Nomi Network. Nomi Network is an anti-trafficking organization that has workforce development programs in India and Cambodia and in the United States and Dallas, Texas. So we come at anti-trafficking work from the perspective of, like I said, workforce development, economic empowerment for women and girls, really teaching them, giving them skills and opportunities for, for economic freedom and being able to protect themselves and generations to come from from trafficking. And, and if they want to donate, where's the best place? Nomi-network.org. It's N-O-M-I. You can see behind me. N-O-M-I network.org. Yeah. So big donate buttons on the, on the website. Well, I'm super interested by your background and your choice to come do this right after you get 10 years of professor. Can you talk a little bit about the Family Foundation and working at the Royal Family in Sweden and, and Brazil and fashion and... Lots of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I don't, I'm not joking about this when I say like my path to where I am today was directly influenced by a choice that I made when I was 18 years old. And it wasn't which university I went to, although I did go to a really good university, but I chose to be a Rotary Exchange student in Brazil. And I went from my medium, you know, resort community town in central Minnesota and lived in Brazil for a year as a Rotary Exchange student. And as a result of that, you know, I speak Portuguese and know the culture really well. So fast forward, I did, you know, came home after my year abroad between my senior year and high school and going off to college. And I went to Northwestern University, bachelor's degree in economics from there, then moved on on to do a master's in art history and then a PhD in apparel studies because I was very interested in the use of clothing and artwork and looking at the cultural connect, like sociocultural connections of clothing and the messages that were included in artwork. So as I was working on my PhD, I was on held a seat on Family Foundation and I- hey, hey, can, we, can we talk about that? Because I don't know that, well, hey, can you talk about the hotels and the family and then yeah. what the foundation foot was focused yeah, on. Yeah, uh, it was Carlson Family Foundation. And this is a family foundation that was started by the founder of Carlson Companies. And Carlson Companies at the time had hotels, restaurants. It was Radisson Hotels, TGI Fridays, you know, big global, global company. And the foundation was really in its in its younger years as a formal foundation when I was on the board and really kind of creating its own roadmap 
as as it were. I mean, literally, I was involved in the writing of the bylaws, that type of that type of growth opportunity. And is this your husband's grandpa? I was trying to make the connection. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yes. So it was that it was that connection. And they so anyway, the family foundation, the family very, very strongly puts forth their Swedish roots. And so they have <laughs> had interactions with the royal family in Sweden. And so I was on the foundation board. And in that, I, the the Queen of Sweden was has her own founding story that was very impactful of interacting as, you know, she goes about doing humanitarian work, really interacting with kids that were being trafficked on the streets and in prisons and you know, throughout the world and really just, you know, again, just heartbroken that these children were literally being sold and decided to start World Childhood Foundation. And Childhood is a an organization that funds nonprofits all around the world. As she was starting this, she was looking for people to join her in this in this effort. And so she was looking for co-founders and came to the foundation and that she didn't come, but that the guy, the, the gentleman who was working for her did when it was explaining this. And there was a board and projects in Brazil. And I was asking a lot of a lot of questions about the programming in Brazil. And, you know, then he was told, well, you know, Kelly lived in Brazil for a year and that's why she's so interested in what's going on there. And so long story short, I, I was asked through this this interaction, this back and forth of like, well, will you join the board if we ask you to be on the board in Brazil? And so I've sat on the board of World Childhood Foundation for a very long time now, a few decades, and seen the foundation grow in terms of scope and impact and specifically around child sexual exploitation. It was through that. So I love having the excuse to go back to Brazil to for the board meetings, but also just to be there for the culture and speaking Portuguese and, and all of that. But it was through that and through that background in human trafficking, global human trafficking, that I became acquainted with the founder of Nomi Network. So when I actually joined the childhood board as I was still finishing my PhD, which is kind of crazy. And then I taught for 10 years at a university. And I did. I had just received tenure when I was at a board meeting. I was on the board of Nomi Network for a number of years and was at a board meeting and they were hiring within the development department. And I just kind of casually and offhandedly said, oh, why don't you hire me? And that got the the whole process rolling. And I, I, I stepped into this role, but it was really an interesting, obviously, you know, kind of an, it's always like when you look back at your life journey and you can kind of piece those things together, that as an 18 year old, I would have had no idea when I was so homesick being so far away. And this is like free social media. So my mom always likes to joke that I would send these letters like, oh, it's so homesick. I want to come home. I want to come home. It would take like a week and a half or two weeks for them to get the letter. And they would get this letter and I'm like completely distraught. And then they'd pick up the phone right away to call me. And I'd be like, hey, what's up? Be like totally happy. So very unlike today where I could just, you know, you get through things really quickly. But, you know. I just, you know, I find it fascinating to kind of look back on your life journey and see these pieces that really are bringing you to something that you could have never imagined when you were when you were a younger person. Um, so when I actually met Diana 
Mal, one of the co-founders of Nomi Network because of, because of my son, he actually met her first and he became, he met Diana at a conference that he spoke at, at the White House in, it would have been 2014 when he was a freshman at Georgetown with the family's involvement in anti-trafficking work, because I'm not the only person that kind of stepped into that, that vein, it, you know, came at it from a domestic, international, corporate route. Everybody was kind of working towards this and in, you know, a variety of different ways. And we were requested, were asked if there was a family member that would be willing to speak on this panel. And Patrick, my son, is the one that was geographically proximate being at Georgetown. So he went and spoke on this panel and he, he spoke with Diana. So he's actually still on the board. So he likes to tell me that he's my boss, but you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm the mom. So we, we know who's really in charge. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to, I think this is one of the things I really admire about you is you're, you're so articulate. You're so intelligent. You're making so, you know, got the PhD, have tenure. And there's so many people that would not have been able to give that up to go work in the nonprofit space. Can you talk about this? Like really achieving a significant level of achievement and then saying, just kidding, I'm going to go help kids. <laughs> What, what was it? Tell us about that thought process. It was a very long thought process, honestly. It was, and it was really one of those, again, like you don't know where life is taking you, but I, and I loved my job at the university. And like I said, I said earlier that I, I loved working. I worked at an all women's university. I loved seeing, you know, these, these, these students come in as, you know, 17, 18 year olds, and then like coming in really as as young women, but coming, leaving as adults and having like their, you know, really, really believing in themselves and moving out into the world. And it was, it was, I loved being there, but it was like, there was just something always in my mind that was like, you know what, you're supposed to be doing something else. You're supposed to be doing something else. And it was one of those situations. I mean, kind of like pot calling the kettle black. Like I could always see the potential in students of mine and was always kind of like, come on, I, I can see this. Why can't you see this? And I had those same conversations with so many people in development and they just kept saying you know kelly you'd be great at development you've got you you really would be great at fundraising and i'm like oh no can't do that i'm like mm -mm, no way asking people for money no way not at all and then it just everything fell into place at the right time. And Nomi Network was obviously already an organization that I firmly believed in. I'd committed myself to being on the board. And it was just one of those things that it, I, I think it was just timing. And I think it was something that mentally achieving that goal of getting tenure was very important to me. Just obviously I'm a, a goal oriented person. I mean, anybody that does a PhD has to be because it's so independent, but it was, I, I achieved it. And I, I don't know if maybe that just kind of like opened up my mind or my heart or whatever to having an opportunity present itself to me, but it, it just, it happened. And I, everybody that was like pushing me in that direction for years and years, they were right. I mean, I, I do. I, I love working in development. I love, and it's not even, it, it, obviously my job is about raising money for the amazing program work that Nomi Network does, but it's also about like engaging with people and, 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 and hearing what they're, again, I mean, back to what I said about like the education component, I love learning, so my headphone just fell out, what the, what, what people's passions are and what really makes them tick and what, yeah. and 
Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it's about no me not working, sometimes it's not. Yeah. So okay, I have some questions about this, but I want to I want to take a a detour. That sounds serious. Some other questions <laughs> first. Okay, first of all, how great is the Maloof Foundation? Uh, oh my gosh, I, I They're also, amazing. Yeah, that event was great. I will say, I feel like you stole the show a little bit. Where you're like, well, I came to the non traditional route to trafficking. I got asked by the Queen of Sweden to be involved. You know, and everybody paid attention. It was it was fun, interest, attend grabber. But I don't know. I, I'm such a fan of those guys and how inclusive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like where they're, you know, the nonprofit world, everybody's so desperate for money that it's so hard for people to cooperate, you know, or sorry, the majority of organizations are really good at their cause, but many haven't either hired or acquired or built the skill sets to, to be very financially stable. And so out of this like desperation of like, well, we don't want somebody else to get funded. We need the money. I, I don't see the level of cooperation that that group would, I think, would normally participate in if they weren't so financially, economically strapped as your clients that know me are, right? And I love that Maloof brings all these great organizations and great survivors mm -hmm. and great people from business together yeah. in like this generous way. And, and I get to meet you anyways. Yeah, no, I, that, that was just, I think like meeting them was, it was just like kind of this bizarre circumstance where I had, I think I had like three or four different people saying, you've got to meet them. You've got to meet them. And just from a, a philosophical perspective, I love being in the room with people like that. And at that summit, their summit that they held was really just amazing. Amazing. I mean, I, I'm always inspired by the survivors that are getting up there and telling their stories and telling not just that. I mean, obviously their successes are something that you want to just celebrate and applaud, but also the the rawness and the vulnerability that they will they will share. And I, I think that that is that I mean, it inspires me because it it gives me the reason to to keep going. And I think that that's really exciting. And so I, I appreciated the opportunity from from that perspective, too. And I got to meet you again. And anybody who doesn't know them, you should you should check out Malou Foundation. They're doing children's justice centers. They've got I just got their app, the Raise app, like uh, for parenting, you know, like how to deal with my, all my teenagers and their phones and technology and stuff like that. They've got the, you know, partner with Elizabeth Smart. They got the Smart Defense Foundation. They're doing like all these great things. I'm such a fan. So uh, I, I think another question I want to ask you about asking for money. Okay. And and the world of development, what principles you feel like work. But I also want to okay. go the other direction of, you know, there's so many folks in the nonprofit space who are trying or who are trying, or maybe they're entrepreneurs listening to the show that volunteer to help a nonprofit. And they're like, oh, we should go to this family foundation for money. Right. Mm -hmm. And my observation in the space is that a lot of time these ultra wealthy families get treated like a walking ATM machine. Like they get objectified. And and that that keeps great causes from getting funding by by not treating family foundation people like regular people and being worried about their problems and just saying, oh, they're rich. They must not have any problems or something. Or anyways, do you, do you have any, do you have any thoughts of, of, you know, what's off-putting versus what's magnetic from a family foundation when people are, are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I think that I, you know, I do, I, I have and have had a foot in both camps. So I can really speak about it from both perspectives, from obviously working for a nonprofit, sitting on boards. And I, you know, I've done museum boards, not, you know, nonprofit boards and university boards. It's, you know, kind of all over the map, as well as like sitting on like the the, the funder, being on the funder side. And I would say both from a personal perspective, being on the funder side, 
but then also being on the fundee side, one of the most important things, if you're going to be thinking about fundraising is it is about the individual. I mean, and it is about, you know, what makes them tick. I've had conversations with people where I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if Nomi Network is going to be what gets them all fired up. And of course, I hope it does. But, it, you know, it, it's also I'm not about like, you know, hey, you know, you're interested in you're specifically wanting to focus on children. OK, well, then, you know, have you thought about this organization or, you know, are you aware of what this organization is doing? And so really being open to to really listening to what what the funder is interested in, you know, in terms of like like in my current role from working with a lot. I mean, we work with corporate foundations, individuals, family foundations that from the family foundation perspective, we're always very, I mean, it's very different. I mean, some family foundations are very directly and intimately involved. Others might use like an outside family office or an administrative office that kind of rolls through things. We're always very open, like whatever you want. You want to come to an event, come to an event. You want to have a one-on-one conversation with me. I will have a one-on-one conversation with you, like whatever, whatever you want. You want me to come and do a report or have coffee with you or sit down with your kids or whatever. I mean, it's like you you tell me like what you want. And and also just I mean, mo- most of the time when I am talking to people, I might not even talk about Nomi Network. I mean, we're just like catching up and talking. And I, I have a lot of people that I talk to that it's like I just I you know what's going on with their kids or or their new puppy or you know anything like that and and that's just that's just and I mean that's just my personality though too I mean I like don't you think so often people who don't have a ton of experience in this world they think it's about the pitch like are my slides good enough and they think it's the pitch the pitch the numbers the pitch and like don't get me wrong like when we've had you know we haven't funded at the level of your family foundation in any way but you know we've given what we thought were significant amounts of money when I had my other fund doing really well right like we gave enough that it hurt okay and and you like we I really want to you know I'm an entrepreneur I'm I you know I'm an entrepreneur who started an investment fund and like we are making investments that are going to work like just being a good cause wasn't enough it's like okay tell me the probabilities tell me the outcomes right but I mostly wanted to know that after I decided that I trusted them yeah you know what I mean? like like I don't know what we're here to talk about and I want to figure out if you like who you are how realistic it is that you're going to deliver on these dreams or whatever you're pitching us on right yeah and then the same thing I look at the other side of like when I have been fundraising whether for profit or nonprofit, like I think some of my biggest mistakes are worried about myself desperate for money you know that like a cliche desperation is a stinky cologne right <laughs> uh, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> oh, okay it's a good one feel free to plagiarize so and when I have not humanized. I have not been patient. I have not been interested enough in them. I'm so focused on what my pitch is and thinking that our logic is going to win them over. Mm-hmm. And and the, it's fall flat on my face. And yeah, wasted time, wasted my time, wasted their time, no dollars, you know. Anyways, any comments about that? No, absolutely. You know, it, it's funny that it is, it's, it's, it's welcome, but very rare when somebody comes in and it's like, we have one meeting and it's like, okay, here you go. Here's the money. I mean, no, it's not about that it's about it's about hearing their story and really listening and yes obviously explaining what we do but it's also it, it's humanizing on both sides
sides. I mean, we also work really, really hard because our programming is often remote and you're not you're not going to get there. Most people aren't going to get there, but really humanizing it and really making it that these women and girls that we are working with are real people. And we have very specific stories about their their lives and things that have happened, you know, how they've impacted their communities and other things like that. You know, obviously, I mean, yeah, it, it is surprising to me. I mean, sometimes I, mean, I guess because I've been involved in it and I don't know if you feel this way, Jess, but it's like it's the, the statistics that go along with trafficking, either domestically or on a global scale, are still shocking to a lot of people, like really shocking. And I guess because I've been involved with it for so long, I'm surprised that it's still shocking to people. But it is. It is really shocking when they hear how many dollars are involved in this industry you know, how many people, the ages, you know, the global scale, the fact that it happens in your own backyard is really shocking to people. But it is it is about from my perspective, it is about learning, getting to know people and getting to know what, what so makes sim- them tick. It sounds so simple, right? I know, it sounds so I, simple, I, but I feel like I'm so bad at it when I'm self-focused and it's like it's like, how do I get myself to forget about myself and just be interested in them is the only times it seems to work. I actually heard something. Yes, I would agree with that. And I actually heard something in, it was a TEDx talk that as I was um, listening to it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly the way I work as far as like, and and it's not even like, I don't want to say like it's work. Like it's not anything that that's, that's calculated or that I plan. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's going back to what I said that other people saw this in me before I saw it in myself, that it's just kind of like who I am. I mean, yes, there are skills that can be taught. But in this TEDx talk that I was listening to, it specifically said, it's like, you know what? You've got to think about it as you are giving them an opportunity. You're giving that person an opportunity to do good in the world. And so that's that's number one. And the second thing is, is that you're not asking for money for yourself. You're asking for money for an organization or a program or a cause that you feel is going to give them the opportunity to really make a difference. And I actually used this video for our board of directors last week. And those were the, I mean, I like those things, but those are the two things that our board members said really resonated with them. It's like, yeah, I'm not asking for money for myself. I'm asking for money for an organization that I truly believe in. So, well, maybe to finish off here, I want to go back to this when you've been in the funder seat. Mm-hmm. When you think about when you think about someone that came in, you know they're there to ask for money. Everybody knows they're there to ask for money. And yet they did an excellent job at connecting with your organization and and being magnetic. What what are some principles? Those those folks that were able to get money. What are some principles you see amongst them? I think that it is a level of respect and just a respect in terms of like the level of funding that you that that's understood that could be coming. And also the just what we've been talking about, about like getting getting to know people. You know, I have <clears throat> obviously I have a master's in art history. I'm very engaged in museums and art and all of that stuff on on the side. And I mean, to be quite frank, the development person that I work with at a museum here, we have lunch probably once a quarter and we don't, I mean, we talk, we, we talk development work with each other, but she doesn't pitch me ever. I mean, and she has, she'll send me emails or whatever, like, Hey, you know, we've got this campaign or this campaign, you know, does this interest you, you know, on that level. But 
that that's a long-term relationship. Like we've known each other for a few years now. So I, I think, I think that's the, but, but that that's personally what I appreciate. And I don't know how you feel when, when you're sitting in that seat, but, but to me, it's just like, you know what, you, you are interested in me as a person and not just me as I'm going to date myself yeah. thing, writing a check, but it's, you know, no, are you kidding? I mean, I have definitely sat in the seat much more on the for-profit side when running a fund and having people come ask for money than, than mm-hmm. on the nonprofit side. But I don't know, when, when you say that, I just think about like patience. Mm, yes. Humility. Uh, yes. Respect. Like all those things that we got taught in Sunday school or something. Do you know what I mean? Like as a little kid, right? Like, yeah. like they sound so cliche and yet... How many times have I been like, yeah, but I need the money and we, we got to, we got to do this. We got to, and, and I don't go in there with patience and big ears and a small mouth and, yeah. you know, and it, and it doesn't work. Right. And those exactly. people where it's like, it's funny because it can almost, it could easily be seen as manipulative as, oh, Jess, you only make, you only make, you know, you only care about the people who can do something for you. Right. Which, which would be manipulative. Okay. Yeah. Unless you actually become their real friend. Yeah. Like if you become their real friend and it is non-transactional and you're happy to be real friends with them, whether there is ever a transaction or not, to me, that's where I feel like the wins come from. Yeah. And it is different. Like when you're working one-on-one or like in, you know, in that type, I mean, obviously like with larger foundations, including family, family foundations, there's often a a procedure. There's an application process. There's, you know, it's very, it's a little bit, there's a little bit more distance between that and it's a board decision and all of that. So that is like when you're talking about a larger a larger foundation that already has an application process in place, you know, it's a little bit more cut and dried. But we have developed on both sides, on the funder side and like from the Nomi Network side, relationships either from the funder side with nonprofits that we've been longer term funders. And then also on the, from the Nomi Network side, we've worked with, and these are again, longtime supporters who have then started foundations or started different procedures. And they'll actually come to us for advice. on like, Hey, what do you think about this for our application process? Is it asking too much? Is it, is it asking too little? You know? So, and that again is yes, that, it's it's a relationship between the funder and the fundee and really really i i would say looking at it in that way from from both perspectives that that it can be can be a relationship i love it when i there are very few people that actually just like pick up the phone and call so i have a few people though that just like randomly like like donors that'll just like all of a sudden my phone will ring and they'll be like oh i'm so sorry i'm like are you kidding like if you want to call me, just call me. I, I love it, and I think they like hearing from me too. But okay, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're over time already, but we're, I'm having too much fun. So I have been texting with my next department saying, "Can you give me a few more minutes?" Okay, let's let's close it off this way. Advice for nonprofit leaders when it comes to upping their game on fundraising. What what do you want to leave them with? Put in the time to do the research. Honestly, like researching either you know don't don't waste people's time. I mean, foundations or individuals. I mean, do research and figure out whether or not there's even a chance that this person is going to be an, interested in the work that you are doing. And, but on the flip side of that, don't, um, no means no now. It doesn't mean no forever. So think about it from, from the long game that there are relationships that now that we're working in the U S they've been years in the work 
absolutely years and the work. And we knew that they weren't going to fund Cambodia, India, anything abroad. But now, yeah, we're working. And we didn't start in the U.S. just in order to get this funding. But it's like, OK, you know, these these were relationships. So also think about think about the long game. So those of you, my two people, doesn't that guys. doesn't that apply to so many things? Marriage, parenting, <laughs> entrepreneurship, almost everything. Think yes. about the long game. If you can manage to survive now, but be focused on the long game, doesn't that almost always end up better? Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Okay. One last time, tell people where they can donate. You can go on to nomi-network.org. It's N-O-M-I network.org and just look for the donate buttons. Love it. Thanks so much for doing All this. All right. Thank you. This was, this was so much fun. Made my afternoon. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> 